Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes giving ourselves the opportunity to create great pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am with you every week. My name is Joe Hilliard, also along with you every week. Dave Gurney. And what a guest. She is back. Intellectual. and oh, Totally, favorites. totally, yeah. Intellectual, insightful. World traveler. It's Pam Briard. I don't know if I can live up to that. I, I think actually all of those things are just accurate descriptions right now. We've done none hyperbole, no hyperbole yet. We'll get there, but we haven't gotten there yet. Well, no, we thanks. haven't. Yeah, we haven't needed to <laughs> lie yet. Uh, but the last time, not the last time, Pam, but a couple times ago, you were on with us when we discussed two films from Wisconsin, your home state, Bridesmaids and Blues Brothers, and you brought back four beers that episode whew, from Wisconsin. You're going to love the pairing. We're doing two films about the art world. So we're doing two beers from Untitled Art. A brewery that we have gone to many times. We have. Uh, a, you know the number, I'm sure. A brewery based in Wisconsin. That's right. Really? It yeah. all comes together. Wanaki? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, Do you know that? Do you know where that is in the state? Where is it? Wanaki, Wisconsin. You mean Wanaki? Wanaki. Sorry. <laughs> There you go. Now you know where that is. Yeah, Wanaki. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Native American name. Well, yes, A lot absolutely. of Wisconsin names are Native American. We have not done a hard seltzer on this show since November of last year. Wow. I know. So we're doing a hard seltzer first. Technically not a beer, but uh, we're going to go with it. We do it from time to time. We do like to just vary it up and try new things. A hard seltzer with natural, real fruit flavors, creating a very drinkable yet flavorful, light, refreshing hard seltzer. This one is their pineapple <laughs> mango Ooh. hard seltzer. Oh my god! I'm pour. I, so I've poured this in my glass, okay. And just even before I went in to sniff, just the aroma that was unlocked just from the pour and was like wafting out mm -hmm. pineapple hitting me in the nostrils. I, this is intense. Pineapple's not my favorite. Just in I a general we've talked, sense. We've talked about this before. But mango. Which I think you're crazy for. Pineapple may more is than make a, up for it. Such an excellent fruit. I, I love pineapple. I love most tropical fruits. Uh, I can't think of any that I don't like. Is is durian considered tropical fruit? I, I don't know, but we'll ask her that question <laughs> okay. and more. That's a special case. Yeah. <laughs> On After Hours, our Patreon-only uh, subscriber-based uh, extra hour or so, extra 45 minutes or so of wonderful content that you can find at patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast do that after you listen to us discuss two films about art by the way this is 5.0 abv i don't think i mentioned yeah We're easing right in easing easing in right the first one david yeah i guess it's a question is this one of your favorite working directors because you really were pushing for doing another um, from this one absolutely i mean my love for kelly reichert is uh well known to those who are willing to listen. Um, I will proselytize for Kelly Reichert's uh, cinema because she makes films that I feel like nobody else could make and do things that I really think uh, often are pretty understated, but beautiful and, and reveal things about humanity that I don't see being revealed in other films. So, so I put it on a certain, I put her work on a pedestal where I think, this is the only place I get this. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited when a new one comes along. And I saw the trailer for Showing Up, this 2023 release from Kelly Reichert. Her fourth film that she's done with Michelle Williams. Right. Uh, Michelle Williams and, and her first teamed up for Wendy and Lucy, this kind of great road movie of sorts with uh, uh, starring Michelle Williams and a dog. 
great, great film. They also work together for Meek's Cutoff, which is kind of like a frontier story, loose Western, but about people, you know, uh, travelers trying to go out West. Uh, and then they, she had a smaller part in her film, Certain Women, which is more of a kind of episodic story with a, a few different vignettes kind of woven slightly together, but pretty separate as well. Mm-hmm. Here we return to Williams in a lead role. She's playing a character um, here, and I'm going to look at Lizzie. Name. Lizzie, thank you. Middle-aged, approaching middle-aged artist who is clearly not made the name for herself that she would hope to have at this point in her career, readying herself for a show. She has a rival sort of artist who is her landlord slash um, next door neighbor slash nemesis nemesis <laughs> slash friend <laughs> played by Hong Chow, a friend of who, me almost. who I have praised heavily for her work uh, before, especially in the whale. I loved yeah. her in the whale, but um, uh, the menu, was, yeah. she was quite good in that. As well. I found her to be high points in two films. Those two that you just mentioned that I found otherwise a little bit disappointing. Agreed. She pops, right? Yeah. Do you, what, what do you think? Have you had experience with her, Pam Hong Chow? Yeah, I've seen her before and, she was great in this role. I mean, you kind of love to hate her. But she just totally inhabits it. Like, yeah. I don't even question. She she just has this role. So he, the kind of nemesis neighbor, she has a dysfunctional family, parents that have split up, but still have these kind of bonds. They're still part of the same arts community. Her mom is an administrator at the college where she works um, alongside her as kind of an assistant in her office. Um, so she's kind of chained to her mother. Her brother is having mental health episodes. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of the only one who's really kind of checking in on him on a regular basis. So lots of stresses, lots of whatever as she prepares for this show. Judd, Judd Hirsch plays her father. Love uh, Judd Hirsch. Fablemans, yep. you remember? Retained, just, yeah. Oh, lo- love seeing uh, uh, Judd Hirsch again uh, in, so quickly. It seems like I go years without seeing him and then I get to see two roles pretty rapid succession. That's cool. This is our second record film, uh, the first one being First Cow back in episode 104. This is her follow-up to that film. A controversial film. In the beer in, in, in a movie, world, yeah. movie world. Yeah. Yeah. And explain, I mean, you loved First Cow and I was a little more lukewarm on it. I mean, I know when I for- like, I don't like the Four Seas films and I say that I think these are films that can reward people if you approach them the right way, but they are different films they aren't going to give you the things that you're expecting from most films the story that gets told may not feel like all that important of a story because she's not doing a lot to really emphasize and highlight the emotion of moments she's kind of letting them happen i think a lot of times just as they would and a lot of emotions being held under the surface is what you're getting a lot of the time yeah i think so i mean the one of the big kind of turning points or action points in this film is that her cat wounds a pigeon brings the pigeon inside she rescues the pigeon she and joe this nemesis frenemy landlord relationship are kind of recuperating the pigeon and a wounded bird you know it's kind of (laughs) right on the nose is that this lead actress is i mean the the lead character here lizzie played by michelle williams is indeed in many ways i suppose a wounded bird and that Kind of over the head. But, you know, the the neighbor treated the bird just like she treated that <laughs> You're right, right. She pretends that she cares. She's like, oh, yeah, I want the bird back, but I'm just going to leave it in my car all day <laughs> long. You know? and, and, I mean, this sort of friendly indifference. Yeah. Uh, right. I want to give you a sweet and easy place to live, but I'm not going to give you hot water when you yeah. need it. I mean, that's... Because I'm busy. Exactly, right? I mean, you're. I think you're absolutely correct. But Pam. we also learn in those episodes when 
Lizzie has no hot water and her landlord kind of refuses to fix it or is dragging well, her feet. Well, just gives, gives and, her lip service. It's like, I'm well, going to get to it once my once my shows are set up. That's when we learn a lot about Lizzie's character, which is that she is not going to be a spokesperson for herself. She's not going to advocate <laughs> for the appropriateness of not having the hot water. She just kind of lets it go. She gets a little frustrated. We do see a frustration point in that relationship. Yeah. But otherwise, this is a woman, I guess, we're supposed to learn from these th- that one little uh, dialogue who hasn't grabbed it all for herself, I suppose. Wow. But, but the parallel that I found to Big Eyes, which was kind of hard to find, <laughs> um, is that even though Big Eyes takes place really almost a generation prior. Almost two generations. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing in Big Eyes is she has no mentor for her art, and then this unscrupulous guy comes and takes over and takes credit for it. And, and you know, Lizzie doesn't have a mentor, and here she's working at an art school with her mother. It takes you half the film before you realize that woman is her mother. I know. Yeah, you thought it was just an overbearing boss. Yeah. Well, not even, well ah. just, it just, you know, kind of the artsy kind of thing. And, you know, she was indirectly caring about all these people, but yeah. nobody was really caring about her. No. Not, not in like a really serious way, except for Marlene. Marlene maybe has like that you get this ray of interest from an outsider who kind of sees the value of her work. I, 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 I rewatched this film. I watched it once and then I went back and I watched it again the next day in the afternoon. And I think this film is like deeply layered with emotion. I, the Marlene relationship, her coming and bringing her New York gallery, uh, contact to the show. Uh, at the, you know, when the show happens in that like kind of final section of the film, what a beautiful gesture. And you know that that's the kind of contact that makes, you know, an artist has a show then maybe set up in a New York gallery and their name starts getting out there. I have hope for Lizzie in this film. And I think she deserves to get her. She has beautiful work. I love that because I was going to ask you, you both this. How important do you think it was that the art was actually compelling that we're seeing in this film? I think it was very important because yeah. I think it was sort of the reflection of what she wanted to be. Yeah. You know, they were these beautiful figures that Free, were full of life. and rippling, just like kind of moving. Yeah. In this way that she never, like, whenever you see Lizzie, she's always kind of like closed in and she's very tight. And like when she's sitting outside eating, eating her lunch and watching them do the movement class, mm-hmm. you remember that uh, mm-hmm. where she first meets Marlene? And you can kind of see that she yearns to be part of that. Marlene kind of and But neither of them are able to be that free. Beautiful moments between people in, in this film, I think, that feel like throwaways. But again, and I find this with all of Kelly Reichert's films, that the more I see them, the more that I realize how powerful these moments that you're seeing. It's just people don't react in the way that you would need them to to punctuate it. She doesn't give you a lot of score. There's almost no music other than when the characters are listening to music. That, that you get. You know, it, you. it unfolds in a very quiet, sort of sensitive yeah. sort of way. And you, you kind of have to be paying attention sort of emotionally to feel that. And by the time the film ended, you know, I felt this real tenderness for her character. Yeah. And so I would say it's kind of a tender film in some way because it just is about the unfolding of, of kind of an average life in a lot of ways, a life of disappointments, which many, many people have. And, and yet All there's of us this on some beauty. Level. Yeah. In it too, and you know, despite you know all the sort of craziness around her, in some ways, her depression or her lack of, you know, whatever it is that keeps her from moving forward, is the most sane thing about all the stuff that's happening around her. These quiet films that require a level of patience and attention, which every film should get if you're giving the film the attention that it's due, 
are very important to me. Like in cinema in general, you want to have an antidote to bombast, which is what tends to be what gets most people in the theater still. And last week with Meredith, our guest here, I said out loud that David and I tend to agree on films. Uh, that we don't get to fight a lot. And um, I brought my boxing gloves. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm playing around. <laughs> this was not um, as enjoyable for me as I can tell that it was for you, David. That's and, and fine. Maybe, I, Pam, you be, can be, be the, the voice. Be the voice of the film goer who this doesn't connect to. It's important. I recognize that this isn't a film that is going to connect with every viewer. But I just want to say, again, if I didn't make the point, the quiet, understated character studies, I love them. Mm-hmm. I love them. There's something about this material, though, or kind of the obviousness of the beats the brother has his mental things. The brother is going to come to the show when her show finally opens, but they can't find her. There's a seemingly not frantic, um, erratic search, but is he like, and he just kind of shows up, eats too much cheese. And then the, the landlord comes in with the bird. Some little girls, um, unwrap the bird from the gauze yeah. and the bird begins to fly around. The brother takes the bird and releases him outside or him or her, the bird outside. And, I know it's all there right in front of me. Everything I'm supposed to be understanding that something has occurred over the last 90 minutes. That's got Lizzie uh, about to spread her wings. It's just so over the head, but at the same time, no questions are answered that I found it ultimately a little frustrating. And when the movie was over the final scene where the landlord and Lizzie are getting along and laughing. Okay. That happened. I had that experience, Yeah, but I don't know if it's a strong recommendation from me. Well, the end of the movie just kind of slid off the page, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. But I did, I did, I had a very odd favorite moment in this what movie. Was it? You know, in the very beginning of the movie, there's a scene at the art school of the women weaving. Yeah. And I mean, those looms are gigantic. I mean, that loom, one loom would fit in this space. And I had a cousin who was a weaver and she had the house for it. Otherwise, I'd be doing it. <laughs> and there was something about, how she filmed that scene that really grabbed me. And I don't know if you noticed, but she repeats it at the end. Yeah, for the credits. Oh, I stay, I I watched the entire credits. It's so interesting that she picked that one thing to repeat. And it was the thing that, I fell Stood in love out to with you. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a little because oh, I was it's a, a pretty... little frustrated with the movie too because I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. But oh my god, what? Well. I think we're so used to watching movies that have obvious plot arcs Yeah. that watching a movie, I was actually reminded a little bit of, you know, who, Jean Dillon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's a pace. You know, where there's you're watching, yeah. you're watching everyday life Yeah. and, and trying to come to an idea about this central character based on that. And, well, and, these and moments, it's a different mindset. You're right. These moments that are truly packed with emotion. Her getting the burnt sculpture out of the kiln. I'd right? like to talk about the, this. This is a, a moment I went back. At, like I said, I rewatched the film. I actually watched that particular scene a couple times after. It's only about 40 seconds that it happens She's very much keeping her emotions inside. She's not expressing how she really feels. It comes out a little bit later when she's at the opening and she mentions it to the, um, you know, the gallery person and, and, uh, Marlene and stuff. But it's so buried. It's so much like 
And that is one of the devastating blows that she has along the way. And it really, I mean, I think the more I thought about it, the more weight it carried. But the way it gets sort of dealt with, it feels very mundane. And then we move on to the next thing. And it feels, and and it'll let us sit. And we see her working with the art a little bit, working with, with some of the clay that, as she's working mm. with it. And having the pigeon there in the box beside her, which I kind of love that image of the pigeon. <laughs> I know She's you said it's on the nose. The cat. <laughs> I, I know you say it's on the nose, Joe. And it is, but it works and it's cute. And I like and I like birds. <laughs> just in it and it kinda and I love that some people just dismiss it as a pigeon and laugh off, why would you even take care of it? Mm-hmm. And you know, and Joe is at least willing to pay lip service to it. Lizzie actually cares about it. I mean it tells you about what all these people are and how they relate to one another. Okay, because I'm, everybody else is dismissive in it. You know, yeah. when she talks to the mother about the brother who's obviously having some kind of psychotic break because he's digging a six foot, six foot hole it's in the backyard. It's a major work. It's a major work. A series and, of those holes. Yeah. yeah. You know, the mom's like, oh, well, you know, everybody has problems. And then she goes to see the dad and he's like, blah, blah, blah. you know, she's like, you should go see him. When did you see him last? Oh, at Thanksgiving. Well, you should go see him. And everybody sort of dismisses her yeah. caring. Except the pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Somebody who actually needs it right then and can take it from her. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I think it's just a challenging, I get it. It's a challenging movie in part because it doesn't really rise above the level of mundane everyday life, you know, trials and tribulations. But it kind of, I think, I love seeing a film that captures some of those small it moments. It doesn't transport you outside. It transports you inside. Yeah, that's a good way to think about well, it. Someone just wrote the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I thought there was good chemistry with uh, Williams and Chow. I thought their dynamic as they played off each other as the mm-hmm. sort of like aloof landlord and the, you know, the, the, the sad act, sack. The acting is wonderful. Yeah. It's just one of those movies where no one's given anything to chew on and emote and act, you know, big. Well, I think it's not that kind of thing. I think it's a different kind of acting. And I was, I mm-hmm. actually thought about that. But there was, a, I don't know, I think it was a shot where Michelle Williams was in her car. And I was thinking about the approach to acting in a role like this. Or to working with Kelly Reichert in general must be so different for her than when she works with most directors. Because Kelly Reichert, I think, I would guess, would tell you to dial it down. Let's keep it more inside. I, I feel like that's part of her signature is like, let's not over enunciate this moment. Let's not make it into a dramatic moment. Let's let the drama be in the moment and do the thing. I think there's strengths to both. Obviously, I love some like, scenery chewing acting and i think mm-hmm. michelle williams can do that kind of acting but i i like it that she wants to stretch this way and i like it that other performers who who seem to like to work with reichert uh, are willing to stretch this way too yeah and that none of that was a criticism it's yeah. just know what you're going to get into yeah i'm never going to say you shouldn't see this movie it's a bad movie that's not what i'm saying at all what i'm like saying one of these are going to break through for you Me- meek's cutoff might do it I, no I i'm gonna like go i'm gonna go a little be, deeper yeah with uh kelly reichert i i am yeah um, I'm going to rewatch First Cow because yeah. uh, this weekend I'll talk about my weekend uh, in after hours. But a couple people. Were you making biscuits at the beach? I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I made breakfast tacos, though. Um, my <laughs> right. I you don't need milk for that. I remember, though, that First Cow has more interesting things to look at, given the setting, given the time, given the time period, given the um Kind of, I can't remember the where they were. Where were they? Appalachia? Like if, no, it was Oregon. Oregon. Okay, it was yeah. Oregon, which is where most of her films are set. 
Yeah, but okay. it, but this was like 1800s. Right, pre- right, yeah. right. So the historical aspects, there's all kinds of things to keep you engaged here. Okay, so she's a clay artist. The last step of a clay artist is to for it to go into the kiln, for her yeah. the clay pieces to be fired. And you're right. Andre 3000 is there to <laughs> do all of the kiln work for her. And uh, one of the pieces that she later calls her favorite or best piece for that showing that she's about to do or did couldn't go in because it got charred. And you're right. You do see the understated disappointment. You see her not really say exactly how she feels because this is how one way that she's guarded herself clearly her entire life. But it doesn't translate to me as, you know, the huge disappointment that I have. I hear what you're saying. And I I kind of appreciate that it's being kept held up because I think that's how somebody I think that's how that character reacts. That character just you know, bottles it in and, 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 you know, sort of eats it and then ends up, uh, you know, acting out in different ways. Although we don't really see her act out Uh-oh. too much. There is no big. The closest she gets a little snippy with the, with the staff at the gallery and kind of w- about the cheese and how much is out there Ooh. and stuff. But no, she's, she's generally nice. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a subtle, very understated. I think you said it, Joe, character study. I think that that is what you're going to get here. I love the little glimpse that it puts into like the costs of creativity and the challenge of it. How do you make things while you're surrounded by these everyday life setbacks and things that everybody else is having to deal with already? And uh, I didn't really think of her as a clay artist. I thought of her as a sculptor. Yeah, me too. And I remember sitting there thinking about it at but the kiln firing, one point yeah. because I think that kind of three-dimensional work is really hard to do. And there's a lot of art that's done well, but there, there's a difference between doing art well and doing it very, very well. Yeah. And I think that what she was doing is something that was probably hard to do very, very yeah. well. I mean, you know, to take a negative space and create a three-dimensional image out of it, you know, layer by layer by layer, I think is really difficult. Yeah. I don't think I could do it. I will yeah. tell you, I did enjoy the artistic process in the yeah. film. Uh, the opening credits are to her uh, and our sketches Yeah, that we then see her creating some of those works, what, no, learning, remembering that it's kiln, you know, that they go into a kiln mm-hmm. to be glazed. And uh, I did enjoy all of it. And then all the way into showing yeah. uh, an art show and hoping that she has success there. So, yeah. Some good things there, but ultimately a little bored, David. Sorry, bro. Hey, I, I mean, I know going into this sort of thing, what I'm going to get, but, but I hope, you know, at least people give it a shot. Right now it's still a rental, but I, it'll be on one of those platforms. Eventually they all do. Oh, see every yeah. movie, right? Yeah. Before you die, watch every well, single movie. Most. I don't know. There are a few you can maybe take maybe people's word on. The ones we decide get- not to do. But you know the thing about the ending, you know, just I I had to go back and watch the rewatch the endings yeah. of both these movies because I thought I had missed them. <laughs> well, this one, like you say, it, it just kind of slides off the page, and it could have really been a cliche, but somehow they managed to inject enough positive emotion into it that. It wasn't for me, and I think that's where I, I found well, I it lo- to be kind of tender. You know, there was I a love, tenderness about it. I love the poetry of whatever that music is. It's at the end. I should have checked. But the, the, it goes to some music right after the bird flies away, and the two of them walk off, and they're kind of looking for the bird half-heartedly. Yeah, it and did you're have getting, some edgy music. You're getting those shots of the trees from their perspective as they'd be, like, walking and looking up into the branches to see if they can spot the pigeon. And... You know, then it transitions to them on the street. It's just a beautiful, like, poetic moment of, like, this little montage of a very interesting, unusual camera angle that you never see, funny perspective, looking up into the leaves. And then you cut to them on that street, and it's just like a classic 
two friends walking off into the sunset kind of shot. But it doesn't, like you say, Pam, it, it just kind of slides away. It doesn't feel like we've hit some point of punctuation necessarily. It's just like, okay, and now, you know, th- this moves on. And it's, you know, there's, it's no accident that it's a pigeon, you know, like mm-hmm. the rats of the air, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, because Lizzie's kind of a pigeon too. In some ways, <laughs> you're you right. Know? You're right. Yeah, some people just don't. One of our friends says, I can't believe you spent $150 at the vet on a pigeon. We shoot, <laughs> we shoot PGs, uh, pigeons with BB guns. Yeah. And, I, and again, right. all on the nose talking about Lizzie. Yeah. You know? but, yeah. But um, I, I'm not going to take anything else away from it, David, because I know this is I one of your understand. favorite directors, I, hey, working it's directors. Okay. It's okay. I really do. It 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 is a nice thing for me to have movies like this, I think, especially when I go to see movies like Joan at the theater. I'll talk about it after hours because um, I don't think we're going to get around to doing it on the podcast proper. Well, I was clueless when I saw this movie, and it made me wish that we had picked another movie by her because I think watching two oh, interesting. of them would have well, – well, we'll see. You know I, know, I think I think the pairing was uh, was a good choice because this got me to see a movie that I had meant to see for a long time, mm-hmm. but it kind of skipped because I was getting repeatedly disappointed by the director and didn't want to have to be disappointed again. Well, we'll discuss that in the second half. Yeah, but before that, we discussed this seltzer, not beer. Yeah, it's uh, it's not uh, you know, like a truly or a. What's the big brand that his, uh, his name uh, is completely escaping me right now? White Claw. White Claw. White Claw. That it's transparent. This has got all the color that you'd expect from a mango pineapple. But it's not a smoothie batch. sour seltzer. No. It's not. It doesn't have chunks of pineapple in it. No. Well, what do you think, Pam? I think it's okay. You know, I was a tapper at the Classic Brew Thursday oh, yeah? night, and we had some great beer, but we had hard seltzers. And they were very popular, but they were super sour. This isn't sour like that. Plenty of pineapple, plenty of mango. Yeah, I think this is a pretty subtle kind of like I was smelling the pineapple mm-hmm. on the nose and it almost made me worried it was going to be too sweet. It's not all that sweet. I mean, there's definitely a pineapple flavor. There's a little hint of sweetness, but it's pretty light, pretty easy to drink. I don't know that I'm going to get this every time I see it on the shelf, but I don't feel bad about trying it. It's good. Yeah, we've done five or six of their different seltzers, including a couple of right? the smoothies. Yeah, I went there to take about. a look. It It'd was, be a good pool drink. Wouldn't yeah, it? definitely. Mm-hmm. 5% refreshing. You can easily just drink as it's many kind of as you like want to. It's like a pineapple mimosa. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's got the, uh, the kind of effervescence of a mimosa. It's a very bubbly uh, seltzer. I like that. It says gluten-free, vegan-friendly. The Florida Seltzer by Untitled Art, Pineapple Mango <laughs> Variation. And what did you say it was from? Wanaki. Wanaki. <laughs> Wanaki. Wanaki. How do you pronounce it? Wanaki. Yeah, Wanaki. Yeah, the Wisconsin is full. Yeah, Milwaukee is a Native American name. Wisconsin is just full of it. It, it makes sense. I just, you know, that, until I hear it uh, spoken, my, my mind will I grew make. up in Chitek in northern Wisconsin. And Chitek <laughs> is Ojibwa for Valley of the Souls. Wow. You know? <laughs> All right. Chidek. Listen, (laughs) we will be back with another art film to go hand in hand with this one and yet another drink from from Untitled Art. When we get back. And we're back. Yes, we are back and ready to go uh, get get into a second film. But before we do that, 
we need to get some beer in our glasses. We've already told you the brewery folks because we're returning to the same one we had in the first part of the episode. That is Untitled Art out of Wisconsin. They, they are based in Willacay. <laughs> we're just going to find every alternative for the, yeah Winacky uh, they are together brewing this in collaboration with Cabin Brewing Company love a good collaboration I'm, I'm not sure where Cabin is but I, I wonder if they oh, are up. another thank you Joe um, this is an IPA an Imperial IPA so this is my uh, my little capitulation to Joe who, who's much more become the IPA proselytizer on the program because i've left him for my loggers and pilsners in in recent years but uh every once in a while i gotta throw one for joe and so i hope this is going to be pleasant for his palate this is thialized iipa what does that mean thialized that's a good question i, I should have looked that up i just grabbed these this i did look it up david thank you joe <laughs> thials are highly impactful aromatic compounds hops, right? that can evoke an intense tropical citrus character Ooh. reminiscent of juicy passion fruit pink guava and freshly zested grapefruit peel the term thiolize seems like we've been doing a lot of more defining recently like new words coming into the show hey. the term thiolize refers to a engineered yeast strain that have the ability to bio transform the thiol <laughs> found in malt hops this, and I, are we entering james cameron terminator territory we here kind is, of it, are. is this beer going to become self-aware and start targeting us i hope not but <laughs> i'm looking forward to it. I, this is my first to my knowledge thialized beer Thialized. but it is a thing that you do with Prepare specific types of thialized <laughs> you're going the can to get is very pretty it is they, they always have beautiful and so true to their name they do get great art for their cans generally. So that, that's, uh, they're very appealing cans, but I poured some in my glass. I'm definitely getting some. It, for me, it's 7. more like three. It's a little more dank and resinous, though I do get some tropical fruit kind of notes out of it. This is interesting. It's intense. I'm hoping it's going to be good. 7.3%. All right. Let's, let's start sipping on this as we talk about this next film. Joe. Pam already kind of mentioned mm -hmm. what we're doing. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about this film if they don't know? I'd love to, David. Big Eyes is a 2014 biographical drama directed by Tim Burton, who you were alluding to yeah. earlier, uh, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karazuski. Sounds good. Starring Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz as a couple that gets married. She leaves her husband, meets up with Christoph Waltz uh, at a... Art uh, fair. Art fair where they're next to one another, both artists, and they hit it off quickly. Her art begins to kind of take over San Francisco, the San Francisco art scene. However, it's the husband who was doing a lot of the sales and promotion of trying to make this occur. And many people in the art world find his art, which is like street scenes of Paris when he lived there for a week. <laughs> uh, and then her style are it's based on a true story and pam i think you mentioned in our chat that you the used to see children, these painting yeah. all the times they used to be on the back of comic well books. they get part of the story is they got very clever with marketing that like they were or willing in the to back of magazines yeah. and they were always uh associated with like learn how to draw in 10 easy lessons and you know you could mail in a, there was a little paper coupon and you yeah. could mail it in and you could take art lessons and it was always the big eyes so i i have a very strong yeah uh, 
Well, this is memory of it. Real artist, real art took off in the fifties and sixties, and then finally, and the husband Christoph Waltz convinces her to go along with the ruse of just let's say that I'm doing these; it'll be easier to sell. Patriarchy, yada 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 yada, until finally she says, "No, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I want the world to know that I made these." And then the film moves into a um, yeah. That's after he tries to burn her up. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. As one might, these artists—they're passionate people. Yeah. Um, Christoph Waltz, you know, one of his larger American roles after *Inglorious Bastards*. Django, yeah, yeah. James uh, Bond and yeah. uh, Amy Adams, who always does a great job. Yeah, I, I I love Amy Adams. Sure, I I feel like um she has certain registers she can hit, and this is a film that utilizes that well. I think this is a good role for her. I'm glad to see her in it. I thought the first half and the second half of the movie were very different. And yeah, I would never have known it was a Tim Burton movie if I hadn't looked it up. Yeah, no, it does. It doesn't. It doesn't have that. Doesn't Tim scream Burton his aesthetic. Feel. I would have expected the husband character to get way wackier. There's a little bit, and especially I think when you get into some of the like lighting and the the set design in their house and the in the studio and some of the stuff like the fire scene. I mean, I think some of that stuff has an expressionist kind of quality to it that I see carry through Burton's work. But you're right. It doesn't wear it on its sleeve in like a an obvious way. The art itself has a kitsch quality to it that I think very much fits within sure. the Tim Burton universe. Right. Well, and I think he – the one real Tim Burton thing I saw was how he – disorganizes her character physically as the movie progresses. Mm. I mean, she starts out, she's really lovely. She's very put together in that 50s kind of way. And then her face starts to line and her expression becomes more sad and she almost becomes like the art. And you get well into the movie before you learn why she draws people with big eyes. Yeah. Which is because she was uh, partially deaf. Right. So she learned to look at people's faces and particularly their eyes. And right. so that's why. Yes. It's, and it, it, take, it took a long time to get there. Yeah. And she doesn't really see. Yeah. And, and, and I think like a lot of artists isn't really interested in imposing that on her art for others to, to have them have to see it that way. She wants it to speak to people the way that it speaks to them. But he's, you know, all too happy to put out his, uh, you know, concocted sob story about having seen uh, the children after the war playing in the rubble or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. It's so interesting that the point of denouement in this film is when she discovers the crate with the Paris scenes in it that were clearly made by somebody else. And, and, you know, you're sitting there wondering, have you been up in the garret too long sniffing turpentine? Because (laughs) you start wondering if she's got a little brain damage going on. Oh, if she's imagining that's happened? Yeah. Let me go backward from Big Eyes 2014 and just talk a little bit about, like, what you had said in the first half about... About what had happened with Tim Burton. You've been a little disappointed. Uh, Prior to this one, 2012, Dark Shadows. Prior to that, 2000... For For many people, his Nadir. I mean, the, the, m- most people have nothing good to say about no. Dark Shadows. 2010, Alice in Wonderland. 2007, Sweeney Todd, which I'm going to say, which a lot of people is fantastic. Love. Yeah, people I, love. I do like that one. The year, uh, two years before that, 2005, Charlie, Long Charlie Time, and yeah. the Chocolate Factory, and Corpse Bride. Big Fish, 2003, maybe the film that is most like this one in that. Well, that does have a lot of kind of that is fantastic, fantastical elements. elements. Yeah. It's it's very much a story. No, never mind. Yeah, no, it's not yeah. bizarre. Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's fantastical, but it's not. It doesn't have that point of view. Following this, I just want to say this out loud. 
uh, Dumbo in 2019, yeah. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Truth in 2016. But 2024, I see a little thing here. Beetlejuice 2. Beetlejuice 2. Yeah. Which I'm very excited about. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm very interested. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, <laughs> get us off the track too much. Get that much. lightning back into the bottle, Tim Burton and Michael <laughs> Keaton and one other I think it's possible, but, but there's a lot riding on it for me. Yeah. In terms of, I love Beetlejuice. I mean, that's a movie. You know what the biggest flaw of Big of Big Eyes is? I hate to say it. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think my biggest flaw is. I wonder if it. Well, I was going to tell you mine. Well, you, you said first. You you've set it up. <laughs> Let's hear what yours is. Hans Landa. Yeah, is one yeah. of the most amazing characters ever <laughs> devoted to celluloid. Yeah. I have had problems with almost everything Christoph Waltz has done since mm. then. Because the cartoonish elements that he puts into Hans Landa, we learn in this film especially. Don't I, turn off. I guess it's, his it's personality. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he's he overplays, which kind of works. A lot. Which works towards the end of the film, like when the film clearly transitions into him being a you know sort of monomaniacal villain character. Then I can go with it, but I don't get at all why she would have like when he. He approaches not, her at the fair. I think any thinking person is like calling a police officer at that moment or looking play, for. He's playing his version of charming, which to me comes off. But as, it comes off as. How do you feel about Waltz in this? I, I mean, I feel like we, we've put this out here. I, I don't want to. Well, first of all, you got to go back to the fifties. Okay. And I think the scene that explains why she was willing to turn herself over to this guy is the scene where she's going in and applying for the job painting yes. baby cribs. Yes, yes. And she's just left her husband. Yeah. She's showing all this beautiful art, and the guy is like, "Well, you know, we just paint baby cribs, right?" Well, just a furniture. Yeah. And she's like, "You know, I'm a single mother. I have to support my daughter." And it's very hard for I think people to understand how difficult that was for oh, women. Yeah. You know, because people who are like older women who mentored me and stuff, you know, talked about things like, well, if you got pregnant, they fired you. I mean, yeah. they could fire you because you were pregnant. Uh. I mean, my mother was a one-room school teacher, and if you got pregnant or married, they fired you. Mm. So it's really hard to understand, I think, from a modern perspective, how helpless women are. Yeah. And it's very easy to of that era felt, and it's very easy to see it as a caricature. Yeah, but I'm thinking a different actor in that role well, I, to tell this true so story. Me, well, the real guy was much better looking than him, <laughs> which might have made a difference. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I did see know? some pictures. I, I, I agree with you. He was at least less cartoonish. Like, Waltz has kind of, you know, Joe, you said cartoonish. I think that's part of why Tarantino wanted him in the film is like sure. he pops on the screen like this cartoon villain. Yeah. Well, like he was in James Bond yeah. also. Yes. You know, yep. you know, I'll give you James Bond enough. as a good Christoph Waltz role, sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing, Pam, the one-two punch here is not only – and it's a, it's a function of each, but the society that they lived in at the time, then she goes to church, to a Catholic church where she is not Catholic, right? Yeah. She goes, <laughs> goes to confession. She goes into the confession <laughs> just to talk to somebody about what her husband has done and what does the priest say? Well, you know what the Bible says. The man's the head of the household. Maybe we should trust his judgment there. And from then on, then it's off to the races where they – where she's not happy about it, but the idea that he's going to take credit for yeah. this because guess what? Money starts to roll in. So yeah. we're going to chase increased financial success, but at the same time, you're losing everything about the notion that you are the creator of this, which if you are an artist is so important. Credit. Well, and, and for your art. Really, what did she say when she was in the confessional booth? 
She wasn't upset that he was ripping her off and taking control of stuff as much as she was upset because she lied to her daughter. Yeah. And that goes back to the sort of mentoring thing, because if that's the example you're giving to somebody and, and that, that we're living a lie thing becomes a big thing because the daughter can't go up in the studio. She can't do this. She can't do that. The daughter knows exactly what's happening. The daughter knows what's happening from the first moment that they meet at the art fair because the guy sits her down and he says, little girl, don't you want your portrait done? And, and she's like, yeah, they're all me. You know, yeah. it's my mother. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I yeah. mean, she sees the con she, oh, yeah. immediately. And there's some, Which, good, there's some good writing there. He goes, well, I better leave before Mr. Her last yeah, name yeah, yeah. comes and socks me in the face. Oh, he's out of the picture. And now you can see almost the gears turning inside his head. <laughs> oh, the, sure can. Yeah. I'll get you a table at my favorite Italian restaurant. Yeah. I don't have to pay for a thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a smarmy. The, the, was yeah. that your biggest problem? It really was. Like, and Because I'm totally the daughter in that scene. I'm like, <laughs> how do you not see through the paper thin creep that you have uh, standing before you? But I do, desperate. but I do love Amy Adams ultimately in this role. Mm-hmm. And I do think she rises above anything, any of the limitation with Christoph Waltz. And I think what this film does really well is capture that time. Um, the, the, uh, sort of vice grip of patriarchy, how that sort of played its role in all of this, mm-hmm. but, and, and how, you know, uh, um, uh, Keen was able to use that. And, the court scene that this builds to right right oh my god that was fantastic yeah right so i think this film pays off in a way that totally justifies seeing that like if you have been holding off like i was seeing this film because you know there's some clunkers there in the later tim burton catalog Mm -hmm. this is one that i wholeheartedly say go ahead and watch stand out you may be a little bit perplexed like i am in the first part of the film with like why would you care about the Christoph? What like he doesn't come across as charming enough to actually be compelling. But then when you get to him really kind of having put the scheme into place and it's him just pulling the strings and being manipulative and then using force but and I think you guys are both looking at this from a very masculine. You're right. I'm sure we are. We Please probably are. fill me in. And, yeah, correct us you immediately. Know, you know, I you know, I see this woman, she's a little desperate, she doesn't have a lot of skills. Yeah. She has a daughter to support. Uh, you know, this guy comes along who's basically like, I'm going to take care of yeah, you. I'm going to make yeah. everything okay. And she buys it because she has to. And I mean, and yes, right. it's, it's, a, it's a very upper middle class kind of, you know, fantasy sort of thing. But the first year I, I was in training at Baylor and I had to do practicum, I was in an adult probation department. And I saw all kinds of women who had been arrested for extraordinarily petty offenses and it was almost always because they were involved with bad guys who were having them do things but they stayed with them because they had kids to take care of Mm. and i think that that's that's just a emotional burden that you know if you time travel back to the 50s you know women were sort of stuck with and i think she was kind of desperate and was willing to overlook his hyperbole until you know, he's throwing matches into her studio where there's kerosene on yeah. the floor. I mean, my God, that scene. And I thought that's where Tim Burton could have gotten a little more Tim Burton on it. Yeah. You know, because, you know, and because I'm sitting there watching and I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's going to start on fire. It's going to start on fire. She's yeah. going to get out. You know, yeah. that was the one moment where I thought, yeah, it was oh, intense. my God, is it going to happen? Right. 
And I'm glad she did get out. Pam, you weren't hoping that Batman was going to show up. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because and, and I, I'd love to hear your takes. on. But I would have liked to have seen her punch him in the nose, which was never going to happen in the yeah, 50s. Right. But but your takes on the court scene. I know, Pam, you at least said that you you thought it was great. I I, I love that section I, of the film. I think I see where you're headed. And that is that if you look at Burton's entire catalog, uh-huh. I just mentioned Batman. St- yeah. Still love that one. Edward Scissorhands. I said I'm a fan of Pee Wee's uh, Big Adventure. We just did a few weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. But there are some in here that, you know, he lost me a little bit. Yeah. And this redeems itself because you're absolutely right. The stakes of the performance that Christoph Waltz is doing finally catch up to the performance he's been doing all along. Yeah. Yeah. And the he just story- wears that charm too smarmily on his yeah. sleeve, and she seems to be too wise to have fallen for that, especially when her daughter is so important to but her. To Pam's point, I think there's it validity in saying that you got to throw all that out the window when you consider the situation that the mom is in. And remember, no doubt, and she doesn't really reject that. Until he's like, well, you have to give me the rights to all your stuff forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then all of a sudden she's like, mm, wait a yeah, second. No. Yeah. yeah. No. And, and, I like, and I like the idea of a judge saying, all right, both of y'all paint a picture. Let's see what happens. I <laughs> yes. Mean, you know. Yeah. The, and that happened. That's like, I, I love that. I mean, you have a story like this. I totally get why. I think they were working on getting this made for like a decade. Mm. And in part because I think when I hear that story of like, yeah, it eventually had to be worked out in a courtroom where they challenged them each to paint something. He copped out with an excuse, never painted oh, another shoulders. thing, in his, never painted another thing in his life. Right. And, you know, she went off and painted for years. And, <laughs> right. and is still painting. Yes. Every yeah. day. Well, uh, did pass away recently, oh. though. Not very recently. They had a picture of her with Amy Adams. For sure. She was the, here. She was around when the film came out, but I think it was just like 2022 or something. And, and uh, she was... She was in her 90s. She was in yeah, her she 90s. died June 26th. There you go. The last year, 2020. Yeah, yeah. But I mean- 94 years old. Painted until the end. And it so clearly her. It's it's and, just you know, sad he, that, that he could- But he bitterly clung to it and claimed that he had painted them all the rest of his life. You know, the other thing I really like <laughs> that was sort of understated is when, out of sheer desperation, she starts painting these almost impressionist sort of- Magdaliani. Yes. Yeah, uh, highly women, stylized yeah. women, you yeah. know? And I thought those were really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was her sort of trying to escape it. Yeah. Well, trying to create some artistic identity for herself, even though it wasn't. Yeah. And then he wanted to claim that yeah, also. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of truth in there <laughs> about, um, the, you know, I think it, this would have been a good companion film to Barbie in some ways. Like, I, th- I think this reveals a lot about how patriarchy works or has worked. It teases out some of the things that maybe go unsaid and other. What did you think cases? about the grocery store scene, you guys? I thought that was that was the most Tim Burton scene in the whole movie, where she's in the grocery store uh-huh. and she's, oh, she's going by the magazine rack and yes, she's looking and at the numerology, the, yes, and then all yes, of a sudden yes. everybody has big seeing eyes. The eyes. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I thought it was great. I, I mean, it it got me to that moment emotionally. Okay, this is like overtaking. She's had reaching that crisis and moment. you know she must be desperate if she let the jehovah witness yeah. <laughs> do you know what i love about that scene more than anything and it takes us back to the first film too and that is i mean it's tim burton doing it and you're right in the most tim burton way that he does it in this film of showing us what the artist is seeing that might get her to paint the pictures this way yeah. taking us into that creative process that's just the how it's made of it all and i always always love that 
just shots of her painting. Yeah. The the big eyes and the characters that that, that have them. And I, I enjoyed that little touch well, as and, like and, the, and then it's after that that she reveals that she the deafness is part of why she right. mm-hmm. Uh, did that well, and you? But you also see him pretending to paint, and and I do think there's something <laughs> funny about that. In reality, you're seeing Amy Adams pretend to paint, and here you're seeing Christoph Waltz play somebody pretending to paint. I, mm-hmm. It's just it's funny that there's like acting going on on multiple levels there. Uh, I always love seeing Jason Schwartzman in a film. Yeah, uh, so he's, yeah, he's just fun as the to see. as the rival gallery owner or what, or the and you know the one who rejects the work. Right. Didn't you yeah. think the scene with the critic, you know, about the New York about the World's Fair in New York yeah. in 1964, which has a certain significance for me? Who was playing that critic? But, you know, he just he just laid it out. He's yeah. like, it's saccharine. It's awful. It's, you know, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Oh, blah. God, who is that? I know exactly I, who you're talking I about. I thought but it I was can't. Rutger Hauer for a minute, <laughs> no. but it's not. Yeah. Terrence Stamp? Yeah. The very one, yeah. <laughs> no. But he, he just lays it out in this you know, New York salon, you know, and yeah. everybody's sort of. That was also a, a good scene. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and always happy to see Terrence Stamp show up. I understand why Beetlejuice 2 is in production, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Who, oh, it's who, who doesn't want to see that? Such a vibrant, unique film. I understand why Tim Burton went that route he did with Wonka and Alice in Wonderland. And these stories that seem tailor-made to kind of be uh, adapted and lockstepped into his very, very specific visual style that we like or we don't like. I tend to like it. Scripts were the problem for me for most of those old other films. I just I wish Tim Burton would do a thing where he gets into more of a straightforward storytelling. Maybe the most, although the content is so good, is Ed Wood, a film we have not done. And I'm going to kind of love love it. I'm going to begin lobbying a little more hardly, uh, the more passionately for us to do that. Hey, I I think there are lots of good opportunities. We'll have to find one of them soon. Um, Recommending this one? I am. I, like I said, ultimately, I think it pays off. I think, and, and the flaw that I think both you and I sort of feel is there isn't big enough to really be a detriment in the way that would cause me to say, don't see it. It was film. distracting for me. I wonder if Christoph Waltz didn't have to do a screen test or an audition because of his success. Well, I mean, Burton, he's such a singular kind of performer. I would have to imagine Burton knew what he was getting. Like, he, he must have consented thinking, I, I can work with this. I think it was about the this. visuals. You know, it's a very visual film in some ways because yeah. you could miss the deterioration of the Amy Adams character as she moves through the film if you weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the way they showed the house and the California lifestyle. And I think he was picked yeah. visually, okay. frankly. Yeah, I could see that. You know, good looking enough, but not really... Good looking, but then as you study it a little bit more closely, it becomes a little unsettling. It's, it's, yeah, I I think you're right. And European, they had to have a European guy. (laughs) That's right. I, so no, I, I, I would recommend it. Uh, and, and I think it's kind of in just an interesting story that it's bringing to the forefront that I think is so emblematic of what the world of art, much like many other facets of the world were in that period that is so easy to forget. You know, I think, Especially for younger people, myself included, who didn't experience right. 50s, 60s patriarchy. You know, the other interesting scene is when her friend comes to the mansion to yeah. see her and he's like, what's going on here? You know, and mm-hmm. she's like, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you can't ever invite her back again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
super intense at that point. Like really becoming controlling and uh, yeah, t- matches terrible through stuff. the keyhole. Oh my gosh! Matches. Yeah, it becomes demonic at a certain point and deluded. And so, I mean, in that courtroom, he's just as wild and uh, and nutty when he's questioning himself on the stand and the, and. Yeah. The, <laughs> And the judge has to ask him to cut out the choreography during, I mean, right. Yeah. That was ridiculous. So it, it gets to a funny loony, which you can laugh at because it has a good resolution. <laughs> at least she vindicated. I, I, I was disappointed with the ending. I had to go back yeah. and rewatch it because it just, it, it's like they walk out of the courthouse and it just stops. And yeah. I wanted her to like do a fist pump or, you know, something a little <laughs> yeah, bit more modern. Yeah. She's yeah. just like, I'm, I'm vindicated. Well, it's, I, I think, well worth telling this story. I think he's told it. I think Burton, his team, told it well. Amy Adams does a great job in it. Christoph she Waltz. She was fantastic, I thought. Yeah. She, she's very understated. She did get nominated, at least for the Golden Globe. But the, yeah, I mean, it's too bad. She really hasn't won. She hasn't won an Oscar, has she? Amy Adams? Yeah. I don't think so. We, yeah. I'd like to see her get a role that would, you know, put her into that category. She has received six Academy Award nominations, and she's the second most nominated without actress having one. Without having oh, one. that's no. I hope she doesn't become the Susan Lucci of, uh, of the Academy, Academy Awards. Awards. You know, when you look at her, she's sort of an every woman. Yeah. You know, she's sort of blandly good looking. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I mean, she's she's very attractive. But she's blandly. But she can dress down if if they don't make her up. And and you know that is something that was interesting about both these women. I've never seen Michelle Williams look this as dowdy as she did in that movie, and she's very attractive. And it it, that's sort of an object. It's like when you see uh, Cameron Diaz and being John Malkovich. I mean, that was the one that I think shocked me the most. But just took me a while watching that movie to fully grasp that oh that's the same person i see in the or mask and yeah charlie's there on yes monster. and monster that's a huge oh transformation God. yeah taking somebody who's who's began her career as a fashion model and turning her into something almost unrecognizable mm-hmm. yeah it's amazing what they what what some performers can do with their with their uh, bodies but you're right i think amy adams has the ability to She's somewhat chameleon-like in her appearance. She can definitely She's take on. She's a little on... Meryl Streepy that way, you know. Yeah, Meryl Streep yeah. is not a conventionally good-looking woman, but she manages to portray this aspect of beauty that's that's the force of her acting skill. You know. I think you're right. I think you're. I mean, she, I think she's beautiful, but she can also be. She, I don't Did know. You she... ever see her in the French Lieutenant's Woman? I mean, I, I think that's really a transformative. Really. I've not seen that. Yeah. Oh, that's really a. a yeah. It's not her best film. But you really see the transformation of her physicality in that yeah. film in, well, in the, some interesting ways. I'm thinking immediately of the Julia Childs movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Ju- Julie, Julia. Julie and Julia. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. All right. But, I mean, there's some Amy people Adams. who can inhabit that, With Amy that blank slate. And I think maybe Amy Adams is one of those huh? people. I think you might be right. I think she'll get, an award. she'll get one of those awards at some point. You know, Once Upon a Time. Yeah, Cabin Brewing Company and Untitled Art had a blank slate, just an empty vessel. They yeah, going to create a beer together, and they've created we are this. We're going to stylize this. Wanaki. What can we do more about this beer? Let's stylize it, and they did. Now I don't know. Well, I'll open it up to the table. Pam, you've had a couple IPAs in your life. Do you? Can you immediately tell what the IP, what the thializing is here? I can't tell what the thializing is. I won't lie, but I do like this beer for an IPA. It's a little less hoppy. Well, the hops, it's much more, it's teasing out the citrusy, like 
floral notes of hops in a way that I think, it, but it's not bringing the bitterness in in, in a strong way. Mm-hmm. I feel like is is Agreed. what they're trying to maximize here, and to me. It's doing that. Now, this is an imperial, although it's 7.3. It's a modest imperial. It's an imperial. It's heavier. It's a higher higher gravity. They're putting more. (laughs) (laughs) What? Why not explain it? These are the questions I love to hear. You know, the idea is, you know, why they use double or imperial is like if we're brewing it for a special occasion, like, you know, the court is going to, then the imperial version of this beer will have double the malt and thus it'll have. Double Why day do they alcohol. call them India Pale Ales? I mean, oh, what does it have to do with you know, India? You know, right? You know that. That is because the British, when they were bringing their beer to the... America? No, to India. Oh. To India. Via, via the ocean. Via. They would find that it would die off and flavor. Like, it would it would develop bad off flavors on the voyage. And so, if they this, overloaded it with hops, the hops do degrade over time. Like you said, a lot of people prize IPAs now because they want to drink them fresh. They have the mm-hmm. utmost amount of hop character then but the nice thing is even as it dies off if you start out with a pretty robust hop profile then it still has a pretty nice drinkability for them there in india so that was it was the beer that they brewed yes exactly explicitly for transport to india it's like the reason they drank gin and tonic is because there was quinine right uh, and it was anti-malarial yeah so this stylized IIPA is maybe a, this can protect us from COVID. Is it? Could this be like? Let's, let's is this like <laughs> Let's keep drinking. We'll figure it out. A double, a double India Pale Ale with Citra, Ella, Eldorado hops, and Cosmic Punch yeast. That's that stylized yeast. There's been a real hops revival in Wisconsin. You know, the Germans who settled there in the 1800s were big hops farmers. Yeah, and then it kind of died off because it wasn't lucrative. And now, in Stevens Point, where I went to high school. There's a huge hops revival, and there are hops farms and stuff. Well, one of the biggest hop revivals in Wisconsin is happening right here in Wan Yu Key. (laughs) Oh, my God. If if Untitled Art ever listened to one of these episodes... They would find that hilarious. Maybe. They'd be happy that there was a native Wisconsinite. You know, there's a Wisconsin quiz, which gives you 10 names, and it says pronounce these correctly. But, you know, Texas does this, too. When I lived in Waco, there was a boulevard that was called... Bosky, and it was Bosk. Bosk, like forest, but it was Bosky. Bosky, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, like it's or like cement. Well, or... it's like when I moved to Austin, and they were calling the street Guadalupe, and I'm like, isn't that Guadalupe? Is it? Don't we or say... Mahia? You know, that's Ma- yeah, 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 Mahia. It yeah. is technically Guadalupe, but uh, I think that became <laughs> Guadalupe. Austin shorthand. Guadalupe. Yeah, yeah. Hey, remove a syllable whenever possible. Yeah. Well, the best thing about Texas is that we're not going to give you too much grief if you don't pronounce it all correctly. And the best thing about <laughs> beer in a movie is that the conversation does not end here. You can find us all over your favorite social medias, Facebook, Instagram, X. You can join us at our chat on Discord. If you are if you haven't gotten there, that's a lot of fun. You can kind of meet some of the folks that tend to uh, be the most outspoken whenever we make mistakes, like um, describing what... Um, Thializing is, <laughs> but you can find Daniel, that. Have it sounds like a bad mental health treatment. Thialized today. <laughs> Didn't they ban that back in the thirties? Give him I mean, thirty cc's of thialization. <laughs> but you can find us on Discord under the name Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues, and we've also mentioned several times that this conversation is not going to end. Pam, David, and I are going to continue talking for a good bit and post that up at Patreon.com/slash Beer in a Movie Podcast. We know that you're listening on your favorite podcast platform. So before you leave where you're listening right now, give us that rating. Give us that review. Make it five stars. That way the algorithm can. Pam? 
do what it do. And put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another all Wisconsin beer, all artistic episode of Beer and a Movie. Until next time. You're living in a fairyland. People don't get to discover anything. They buy art because it's in the right place at the right time. (laughs) 